What if there was a different way to live and work? Beyond the hustle and hype. Beyond the never-ending race to get more, do more, be more. A way that's grounded, intuitive, intentional, and in line with your deepest, truest self. You're listening to Wellpreneur with me, your host, Amanda Cook. Together, we'll explore nature-based personal growth for high-achieving women. I invite you to plant your feet on the earth, slow down, tune in, and get ready to create a life of meaning and magic. Hello, and welcome back to another episode of the Wellprinter Online Podcast. Thanks so much for being here this week. And this week's episode is all about thinking big and creating something in your business that's bigger than you initially ever could have imagined. I'm talking to coach Jana Schuberth this week about how she created the Alive in Berlin conference. Now, Jana was just running her life coaching business, as she says, kind of hiding behind her computer, working with clients one-on-one and being successful. But then she had this vision for creating a real community in Europe and creating a conference, kind of like how the World Domination Summit is like this come together of people with certain lifestyle beliefs and creating their own businesses and their world-changing movement, you know, happening in Portland, Oregon every year. And she thought, wouldn't it be amazing if something like that could happen in Europe? And with just that dream, she created the Alive in Berlin conference, which ran for the first time in May 2014 and is happening again next year in May 2015. But whether you want to plan a conference or not, or if you're in Europe or not, the reason you're going to like this interview is because Jana gets really honest about how she even came up with this idea from the little inkling that woke her up in the middle of the night to kind of sitting on it and letting it just kind of develop in her mind for a few years to actually committing and deciding that she was going to create this conference. And then she shares really openly a lot of the fears that came up for her about creating an event like this and how she really overcomes them. And also some tips on how we can all dream bigger in our own businesses. So if you've ever had any little glimpses of insight that you'd like to be creating something bigger or really making change in the world, but you're not sure how to go about it, I think you're really going to enjoy this interview with Yana today. Now, like always, you can get links back to everything we talk about, including to the Alive in Berlin conference, which I'm planning to attend myself in May, and I'd love to see you there. You can get all of those in the show notes, which are at wellpreneuronline.com slash 34. Now let's jump into this interview with Jana Schubert. Hi, Jana. Thanks for joining me on the show today. Hi, Amanda. Thank you so much for having me. It's a, it's a real pleasure. So I actually came across you and the work that you're doing through a mutual friend that we have. And actually, this this friend has been kind of pushing me to talk to you for quite a few months because she said, you've got to see what Yana's doing. It's really amazing. She's really like creating these awesome things in Europe and she's launched this conference and you're, you know, you're, you're like missing a trick by not talking to her. And, <laughs> and so I'm so happy that we finally got to connect and we can learn more about your story and, and this amazing conference you've been planning. Thank you so much. Well, that's a, that's a delight to hear. And, you know, she's equally amazing. So I, you know, I'm grateful for the connection. So thank you. Cool. So can you uh, tell us a little bit about what you were doing, kind of your backstory before you decided to create the Alive in Berlin conference? Mm, I think, yeah, because it, it, you know, I think it can look from the outside, like something like that, just, you just produce it and, and it comes, you know, 
it happens all in a very short time frame. But really, this has taken years and years and years of internal preparation as well as, as external. Um, and, and I guess, you know, to start off the story, the best point is probably my own leap into self-employment, where even at that time, I was really hesitant to leave a very, very well-paid, you know, the typical corporate type job with all the packs behind um, to leap into uncertainty and become self-employed. And really, you know, I couldn't imagine having that huge uncertainty of not knowing how to pay my bills every month or where the money's going to come from, especially also because my husband has his own business. So I didn't think it was a good idea to have two variables in our lives. But at the same time, when I found, you know, my path into personal development and trained as a coach, I really could not not do it anymore. And then the mode of how that was going to happen was totally irrelevant. <laughs> and I just decided I would figure things out along the way. So this is really how I started into a completely new direction after uh, a career in marketing and also as a chartered accountant for the last four and a half years of my corporate career. And uh, really wanted to help and inspire people to choose work that was meaningful to them. I guess this is a path of, of, of many of us, but it became really, really meaningful to me. And, and as part of that, I kept learning and growing after my coach training, mostly from blogs and people and books and TED Talks and other, you know, sort of leaders in the personal development sphere, psychological uh, realm. And what I tended to notice was that m my shift always went sort of towards the US for material. And I, I, you know, I didn't really know who I would want to follow here in the UK, etc. So when I was fairly new into business, about six months in, I decided I wanted to hire a mentor coach. And I actually took this really seriously and made up a list of 10 people that I think were, you know, were inspirational or did something that I wanted to build. Um, and of those 10, there were six who were UK based because I am UK based at the moment. And on the other hand, there are there were two Americans and two Canadian coaches. And so I reached out to all of them. I spoke to all of them. And it was very, very clear, very quickly that there were two people amongst them both of those being the American ladies who were just miles ahead of the energy, the kind of the knowledge base, the professionalism around how they marketed themselves, the website. I literally went to my, you know, to who, to the lady Susan Hyde, who, who then became a mentor's website and fell in love with her just based on the website. And, you know, here in the UK, I had experiences where I came off that initial conversation feeling really like almost depressed, thinking, why would I give so much money to someone that makes me feel miserable? You know, that tells me what I can and can't do, what the industry is like or not. Like, it was very clear that they had their own limitations and limiting beliefs. And I didn't really want to expose myself to that. So from then on, following Susan Hyatt, who's a Martha Beck trained coach um, in the US, for a while, we worked together one-on-one. -on -one. We also, uh, I also joined her group program. And all of those things were really, really helpful for me in starting my own practice, because there was just somebody to hold my hand and to believe in me when I didn't and all those great things that coaches do. But also I, you know, I really enjoyed becoming part of her little community of women entrepreneurs. And so um, about three and a half years ago, a bit more than three years ago, I flew over to Phoenix to meet for, um, for a weekend with her and the group um, that was her clear coaches program. 
And we was, you know, we were getting together to work on all of our businesses to, I guess, form some relationships and have some fun in the process too. And so as I was there, I, I woke up a little bit jet lagged. We were, we were asked the kinds of questions around, you know, grand visions and what we would want to create and, and, and to, you know, to dream big. And as you briefly mentioned before we started recording, this is a really difficult thing to do sometimes, you know, to really actually think big. So that really challenged me. And, and I woke up, I remember at four o'clock in the morning and I, I think I still have that flat, like the flip chart page <laughs> where I started scribbling in the middle of the night. And I just had this idea or this thought of like, I would love to create a European community. And the reason for that was really because I, you know, I kept wondering why this didn't exist in such a, as I guess, to such a scale or, you know, I was just always really envious when, when Americans would like help each other, cross promote each other, do stuff together, set up podcasts together, you know, bring out products together or just just, you know, like just be friends. It, like, it seemed like it was very cliquey and people would always do something together and support one another in what they were doing, whether it's like trying to get a book on the New York Times bestseller list or other things uh, in terms of their businesses. So I was like, why doesn't this exist here? We must have those kinds of people and we need to bring them together. And, you know, being a born German, I have some ties to Germany, but I'd also been here for 11 years. Um, well, about eight years at that point. So a long enough time to be quite detached from the German market. And I literally didn't know and still don't know any, like hardly any German coaches. So I wasn't particularly connected there either. And so the next day I walked in to our meeting room with this, with this flip chart and, you know, I was saying to Susan, so I've had this idea, but I'm getting really frustrated because I'm going to go home after this weekend. And, um, I don't have any of these people around me. I don't have the contacts of actually working with people together face to face. And I'm just going to be really lonely. And I said, I just wish that there would be someone in the UK that could take me under the wing, kind of show me the ropes and help me build this because like, how on earth do you start building a community or like, anything that is of, of you know of size in, in a big community like Europe. So at, so, the, so at this point, like you're basically running your life coaching business or your right. career coaching business. And had you had any experience doing event planning? Or? Well, that's, a, that's a good question. And, and, and at this point, and this is what I need to point out, I guess it wasn't yet a conference idea. Ah, right. So right? you were so, just thinking a community. Like, yeah, a, oh, I right. wanted to have friends. Like I wanted to have friends more closely, you know, a network of people that I would relate to that I thought were awesome people and that were, you know, kind of doing stuff. And so I have, you know, to answer the question, you're, you know, I have had experience in event management, coincidentally. That was sort of the first thing that I, I did out of school and um, afterwards because I trained as a journalist. Uh, in, in a PR and editing advertising agency. And I also organized dragon boat races from about the age of 15, um, emceeing in front of like up to 5,000 people and organizing really Europe large European events with, uh, you know, with other people, obviously not on my own. But so I had some experience, but at that point, the conference thing was not in existence in my head yet. It was just the sheer thought of I need to do something in Europe and I need to bring people like me together because I was convinced that there are more people like me who look to the US thinking this doesn't exist here, but we exist, all of us here. Mm -hmm. And so Susan just said, Jana, I think you have to become the leader that you're looking for. And I was like, Right. That was not the answer I wanted. <laughs> but can we can we just say sure. like that's so that statement, you need to become the leader that you're looking for, is so powerful. And I think for many of us that 
for lots of people listening out there, when you're seeking something, you're seeking a community of certain type of people, Absolutely. you know, if that doesn't exist and, and you really want it, there's probably other people that want it too. And, and to just step up to, but of course that's a huge leap. It is, it is. And you know, it doesn't mean that it comes with a, with an instruction manual. And on the other hand, like I, I have really only understood the meaning of that. My friend Greg Hartle would say that what's the world you want to live in and what are you going to build to contribute to that? And basically I did that, mm-hmm. but I didn't in, like, I didn't intentionally set out to be that, like, you know, that person who steps up as a leader, to be honest, like for the next three years, the next two years, for sure. I didn't really know like how to be that leader because, you know, running a coaching business is a, is a a fairly safe place. You know, I'm working from home. I have you know, my, my entire coaching business, although with clients from literally from Australia all the way across Europe and to all over to the West Coast, I do not like I can hide behind the screen fairly well. I think a lot of coaches relate to that. I don't have to go out to a networking event if I don't want to. I don't have to make any sales pitches to someone if I don't want to, you know, those kinds of things. So it's a really safe place. But to lead something that only you have in the he- in your head, that you think is worthwhile. That's something that I have totally come to appreciate the process of creation and producing something that isn't just a one-on-one service exchange. Mm. And one, one thing that's really jumping out to me in your story is that you said you had this flash of creating the community at 4 a.m., right, when you're in the middle of this mm. conference, but then you didn't know what to do with it for three years. And I think that's something that happens to so many of us is that we have this flash of insight of what we want to do generally, like a vague mm-hmm. direction. Mm-hmm. And we so want to just force it into being right then, like to know what it is to put our finger on it to mm-hmm. make it. But what I love about what you said is that we can't do that. It almost needs to ferment, like it yeah. needs to gestate or it needs to mature and kind of explore the idea until, which might take a couple of years, like you right. said, before it turns into that time. And so I think you know, what I'm taking away from what you just said is that we need to cut ourselves a little slack and forgive ourselves a bit that we don't know exactly what form this thing is going to take and just give ourselves the space to see how it develops. Yeah, and then I can happily share how this did evolve. And I think, you know, um, we really, I believe that we really create our life's experiences perfectly. And we design, like almost engineer design it so that we learn along the way what we have to learn in order to make the next move. And so for me, it was just one of those things that after that week in, in Arizona, it probably lay still for a little while. And then for some reason in the same year, nothing really happened with that idea. It kind of, but every now and then um, I would have conversations with people and this thing just came out of nowhere, me just vocalizing it, you know, European community. And, and it would kind of like every now and then bob up and then, you know, retreat and come up in conversation again and retreat. And I was like, God, this really doesn't freaking go away. And then uh, in that sort of towards the end of that year, I reached out to Chris Gilbo, who's, uh, you know, now a really, really good, great, you know, close friend of mine who organizes the World Domination Summit in Portland. And we started the conversation about something entirely different, but it led me to going to Portland the following year in 2012 to visit the World Domination Summit. And when I saw that, it's like my idea became, oh, God, frame like it it became more structured and I experienced that thinking this sort of thing does not exist in Europe and we have to have it and then over the next year it kind of kept creeping up a little bit 
Um, I was busy, you know, making my business work. I also joined Tony Robbins's um, organization um, as a coach, and my, you know, it, my practice shifted a little bit with my focus, etc. So a lot of things went on along the same time. But then, I guess it was really only when I went back to Portland the following year, last year in 2013. This conversation came up in the car and I was I was driving around, you know, going to a party with a, a few friends that I'd made in the previous year. And I was like, do you guys think that if we did something like this in, in Berlin or in Europe somewhere, people would come and they were like, hell yeah, absolutely. You know, it'd be fun. We want to go to Berlin and have some fun like this uh, there. And I was like, huh. And so... The thing that kind of had held me back, and I think a lot of your listeners will probably relate to the same thing, is that although I had, like, I have a degree and I have my CPA qualification or CA qualification, all those kind of papers, I did not have a PhD. I do not I have not written a book ever. I've not even written an ebook. I've not written a manifesto. I don't have an online program. Any of, any of those things. I always just thrived off of the human connection of of direct coaching. And so I didn't have a huge Twitter following. I didn't have a, a big Facebook following or you know email list or any of those things. And so for the longest period of time, I was like. Yes, I, I would love to do this, but I don't have any of the stuff like Chris, you know, who's got like, I don't know, 120,000 Twitter followers now, I think, um, or probably more and a big email list. And he'd been blogging for like freaking ever, you know, like I didn't have any of that. And I was like, I, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I can pull this off because who's going to know, like who's going to buy my tickets? And so up until that uh, weekend in Portland, uh, pretty much a year ago and a few weeks, I kept dismissing it and thinking I didn't have what it takes literally like in terms of resources and contacts and all of those things. And so as I was, I don't really know what, what specifically happened, but at some point I was having the same conversation again with my friend, Sarah. And I said, you know what? I don't think I'll ever have my shit together. People always think, you know, and wait for the perfect thing. I might as well just start because if I don't start, then I'll never build anything. You know, nothing's ever going to happen with this. And it would be something that I would regret not doing. And so then the moment I had spoken out loud, I was like, oops, this is like serious accountability. And then in the night, like again, you know, being like with the eight hour time difference and things, I guess you wake up sometimes in the night. Um, I was thinking, okay, how long does it take to make a human being? Nine months, right? So that would take us to about April time. It should be enough time to pull off a conference, right? That was my thinking. Every time I tell that story, people are like, oh, that's so naive. (laughs) (laughs) And hell yes, it was. But who cares? So then I was like, okay, if I do this, then I would want my friend, my my other mentor, Pam Slim, and I want Chris to come to speak because then I, I would feel like I have gravitas, like I have, you know, great people that other Europeans follow and love and adore their work. And I could, you know, I would feel confident to do this. So I asked them and, you know, instantly, <laughs> instantly they said, yes. And I was like, shit. Now you really have to <laughs> now do I it. Really have to do it. <laughs> and so really then from then on, it led to like just taking one step at a time and figuring it all out along the way. So you must have had just like a swirl of fears and oh, yeah. nervousness and doubt. And can you tell us about some of the fears that came up for you planning? The oh conference? my goodness. Plenty, Amanda. <laughs> like, and st- you know, it's, it's nice because now I can kind of look back and I can smile about them, but, uh, and you really just only grow by going through it, I think. But at the time, I think the biggest fear wasn't that I ever doubted that the conference would be good or that I could do it from an organizational point of view. Cause I'm highly like organized, structured kind of thinker and the way I work is quite efficient. 
And I knew that I would be resourceful in various different ways. But the one thing that I didn't have control over is ticket sales. And, you know, given that the whole conference was not sponsored or funded or it had to be like it had to be commercial. The when we really started to do the early bird ticket sales and you can make up numbers all day long, like however many tickets you want to sell. I had a budget and all that. But, you know, the budget doesn't give a damn. If you don't sell X amount of tickets, you don't sell them. That money doesn't come in. You can't spend that money. Simple as that. So a budget is only as valuable as you want it to be, I suppose. So really, my my fear started really, really heavily kicking in in January when we started to actually launch ticket sales. And I think I had to really, really come to terms with surrendering to that and being grateful for the people that were coming and did buy a ticket as opposed to hunting and chasing after people who might or who, you know, whom I didn't even know yet to buy a ticket. And it, that was really, really hard for me to, to deal with. And especially because financially, it's a cash flow question, right? Like, so the mm-hmm. conference, I'm happy to, you know, be very open. I think, you know, overall, I haven't done the final numbers yet, but overall, the, the whole of the conference cost about 60,000 pounds, euros, sorry. And so it's not money that I have lying around. Um, I did put a lot of initial savings into things like the website and, you know, kind of initial setup of things like bank account, a limited company, you know, those kinds of normal things that need to happen. But, you know, I also couldn't spend money that I didn't have. But there were, you know, payments to be made for the for the venue and for different services that we would we would have and, you know, wanting to buy merchandise and all those kinds of things. And so that was really tricky to manage for sure. Yeah. I mean, how do you overcome fears like that? Like, what are some of the things you do personally to just keep yourself going and, and not let that stop you? To be honest, like I was tried and tested this first half of the year in a completely new level. You know, I figured because I know that I, you know, I'm not my thoughts and all those things, but it became a really physical stress factor for me. And to the point that for for the large part of those five months leading up to the event, I would wake up at like 3.17, 3.18 a.m. and then be awake for like two hours, tossing and turning, thinking, being you know stressed out or making to-do lists or actually just getting up and doing work because I couldn't go back to sleep and then going back to sleep for an hour or two in the morning. And then coaching because I also all the way up until two weeks prior to the event, I had my full-time coaching practice going on with 45 to 50 clients at any given point in time. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it w- like I couldn't not show up for them, but I had like two full-time jobs. And, you know, to come back to the fears, one of them was that I was, I felt really alone for a long stretch of it because the initial team I put together completely fell apart and people just pulled out when it got to doing real work for various reasons. And some of them, you know, personal, genuine reasons, but still there was only so much time I had and so much work I could do. And so that was really, really difficult. And I learned a lot about leading and managing a team in that time and hiring the right kind of skills and paying people or not, you know, working with volunteers and all of those things. So the way I handled it was to become really heavily intuitive. And that meant I pretty much from one week to the next, I gave up CrossFit training, which had had been a very big part of my life until about February. And that was purely because I felt like I just literally could not match up that masculine energy that comes from CrossFit or that, that, you know, that you need to bring up to do like serious weightlift training. 
so I dropped that. Um, I started walking and running, like I actually like downgraded as I went along. So I, I stopped doing that. Then I just kept running a little bit every, you know, every other day or so to do something. And then I toned that down to just walking because I literally just did not have the energy. And I tried to look for things that would balance me out. Cause the one thing that I was lacking internally, like that I was missing was inner peace, like just being calm and balanced and feeling, you know, somewhat healthy. And instead I was like eating more, gaining weight, like feeling uncomfortable, being stressed out, not sleeping well, all those things, like noticing how I would drink like uh, three glasses of, of wine a week instead of like the usual one or none, or like, you know, it just felt really, really awkward. And so one of my healing uh, things were actually, it makes me smile just thinking about it, that I had the year prior in March, I'd started to sing in a ladies choir here in uh, where I live in the Midlands. And it just had always been such a joy to be a participant in that. And so I just upped my singing lessons. I took, I, you know, I joined another choir um, on another day. So I had two choir appointments and I had uh, one private lesson initially just every two weeks and then every week. And my singing teacher just became a really good friend and, and, and almost like a therapist to me. Like it was like we were like taking, we were really laughing at this by the end because I, you know, some days I would just go not even to sing, but just to have coffee and talk with her and have her make me happy again. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so these kind of, these were the kind of coping mechanisms that came up and I just really became intuitive. But the, the other number one thing was that I, there were a couple of people that really made a big difference to me being there. Um, really, they they deserve to be mentioned. One being Anne-Sophie Reinhardt, who stepped up incredibly um, together with Carolina Baker, who both of them really helped me in the weeks leading up to the event with the practical stuff. And then my friend Sarah Peck from now New York, former San Francisco, who was also a speaker at the conference, who was just there the whole time and would just kind of listen and, you know, believe in the whole thing at all times. And then I also went back into supervision, like, um, and started coaching with someone again, as in like me receiving the coaching, because I just felt like I needed some internal deeper level shifting around. Mm -hmm. And my friend and coach Jeff Riddle did a phenomenal job at helping me just align internally to be at peace with this whole financial struggle that I had. Mm -hmm. And so I want to be real about this. We didn't break even, I have about 30,000 pounds in debt now. And I'm, you know, I, I don't actually, like I say that in debt, but the way I consider it is really as an investment into what we're building. And I believe very, very strongly in it. And especially after seeing the success we had at the conference and, you know, having had those people, you know, 130 people there was, you know, so encouraging and so worth every penny <laughs> that, mm-hmm. you know, I'm delighted to to have made that investment and to build on that over the next few years. And really now we're working already on next year's conference, but we're also working on building relationships with Barcelona to, put, you know, bring the conference there in 2016 or 17. And we're, we're working with all the participants that came to build more local hubs, you know, alive in Heidelberg, alive in Helsinki. We're doing a meetup in October. We're, we've got a group in in Warsaw and Poland. You know, we've got groups here in the UK and different cities. So I, I really, because what I wanted to create was a point and a beacon for people like that stands out, that people come together to, and they know that they don't have much explaining to do because they share the same values. And it's a point of human connection. And that cannot really happen virtually. 
Um, and so a lot for me actually moves away from virtual. Like, although I'll keep, you know, a large chunk of my business online, but I have, I've come to really appreciate the power of actually being in the physically same space. Mm. Yeah. And thank you for being so open and, mm. and sharing, sharing that really honestly with us about the realities of the conference and also your fears around that. Because I think, you know, especially, well, in the online world, I think particularly because that's what I'm immersed in. You just hear all the good stuff. Right. You know, and this is great. And I had a huge launch and I did this thing and it's amazing. Mm-hmm. But in reality, everyone's got these fears that come up. And okay. and what I, what I really appreciated that you said was that to get over that fear and keep yourself moving forward, you needed to tune into your intuition. Mm-hmm. And I think that's important for everybody out there listening is that there's not one answer to overcoming your fears for everybody. It's for you it was singing, right? And getting mm-hmm. some coaching and, and simplifying your exercise routine that mm-hmm. might look different for other people. And I think it's important that we remember to trust ourselves mm-hmm. about that and do what Absolutely. we need. So we're kind of getting to the end of our time together. Um, sure. But I wondered if you had any parting thoughts about you know, even getting started, like how can we think bigger in our businesses? Like you said, you know, so many people get so comfortable just doing this one-on-one coaching. How can we really trust ourselves and figure, you know, to identify that bigger vision about what we really want to create in the world? You know, I would start by saying not everybody needs to do anything big. Um, and in fact, like who's to judge what's big and what isn't anyway, because, you know, what what all of us and all of your listeners and, you know, what we do is just as big as we want it to be. And, you know, I think that it's, it's important no matter how small or big, like if we have impact one on one, that is just as important as creating something that might be more longer lasting. But I would it, I would bring it back to the question of what is the world that we want to live in and what are we building to create? that. And if, if we can create what we'd like to consume and we have that opportunity to do that, then I think the second next important step is to, to listen to that because what tends to happen is that people may say that they can't really, you know, they don't really dare to dream big or whatever, but they do. They do. It's just that they dismiss it instantly. And, you know, I think when something comes up in, in your head and it, it becomes one of those quiet voices that doesn't go away, then to just take that seriously and start figuring out, like just even going, instead of like, oh no, I couldn't do that because what if I fail to start with, you know, what if what if I did nothing? Would I regret that? Or what if I, it did actually work? You know, could it be worthwhile? What's the worst that can happen, right? Like, because very often we, we just go into these negative scenarios, but really, truly, I mean, what's the worst that could happen that I would end up with some debt? That's the only thing. So then what? Like, I'll just make my way out of that. It's just money, Right. So, you know, I didn't really like I had to neutralize the pain of the fear by looking at it and not uh, not not resisting it. I think too often we are in especially in the self-improvement world, uh, you know, we're, we're kind of encouraged to be, you know, to be challenging and to kind of like go, OK, well, I don't like this behavior. Let's stop it, um, you know, altogether. But that is building up more resistance. So for me, the best way to address the fears and the pain and, and to, you know, to listen into my, to, to my intuition was to watch and look really closely and carefully and become, you know, become appreciative of both sides, you know, the pain and, and the, the good stuff. And then the other thing that I think is paramount is to surround yourself with people who believe in you. I mean, I could not have done this if it wasn't for Anne-Sophie or Sarah or other people, you know, frequently saying, 
no, you know, you've got like, you're doing really great. You think you're not doing well, but you're, you're doing it right. Like you're in the middle of it. It's fine. It's okay to be painful. And we support you no matter what happens with this. And that's probably the most valuable lesson. And then a lot of people, I think the final thing that I would say is that a lot of people I encounter who are not taking action, you know, they are thinking about something for a long time and they're hoping to find answers in doing more work, more analysis, more reading. But really the only way clarity comes and answers come to how to solve problems is by doing something and taking action. And I know this sounds so cliched, but I just, it, I could, couldn't have been truer for me. You know, I was like a car going in the dark. I didn't know all the way. I couldn't see all the way to the destination, but I could see all the way to the next 10 meters where my light shone. And then once I'd been around that bend, I saw the next bit and the next bit. And you just, that's how you can, t- it's like a, 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 you know, day by day type of exercise. Mm-hmm. And to not get overwhelmed, you have to like be just focused on the next day or week. Otherwise, it drives you insane for sure. Baby steps. Yeah. So, Jana, tell us when the conference is next year in 2015. Yes. So we'll actually be doing it again in Berlin to make use of all the great infrastructures we've created there now. And uh, it will be on the 29th and 30th of May. So same last May weekend. Um, as this year. And we're looking forward to being back in the Kajakshonen, which was a phenomenal venue and having some really interesting and new challenging guests that will help us really, you know, feel fully alive and shine a light on different areas of life. Um, and it's, an, it's fun for me to create this uh, from new because it's really this year was a hundred percent reflection of my life. And I'm curious, like how I'm evolving and how that's will, how that will be reflected in next year, but it's going to be fun, I think, and a little bit more adventurous. Cool. And the website is aliveinberlin.com. Correct. And if people want to get in touch with you, how's the best way to connect with you? Oh, that's totally easy. Uh, I mean, if you want to just have a look on that site, it's actually linked to my email address. It's just Jana at aliveinberlin.com. And yeah, I'd be delighted to hear from you, especially if you think that you know someone that would be an amazing, uh, you know, super cool speaker, or if you want to contribute in some shape or form, we're now building a really amazing team of musicians, photographers, videographers, web designers, you know, people that chip in, copywriters, um, social media people, like we can still do with help. So uh, if people feel called to contribute to the community, then I'd be delighted to hear from you for sure. Awesome. Thanks so much, Jana, for sharing your time with us. Of course. Thank you. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Wellpreneur Online Podcast. I hope you found that really inspiring and some practical tips to just work through the fear and really push forward and create and bring your vision to life in your business. I know I found it really inspiring. Just as a reminder, you can get all the links to Yana's website, the Alive in Berlin site, and everything else we talked about in this podcast back on the show notes, which are at wellpreneuronline.com slash 34. So I hope you have a fantastic week and I will see you back here with the next episode.